Well, good morning. Good to see all of you this morning. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Take out your Bibles this morning and turn with me to the second letter to the Thessalonian church, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. That's going to be our text for this morning, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. The title of our message today is Three Purifying Results of Suffering. Three Purifying Results of Suffering. And we're going to cover the first five verses of chapter 1 this morning, a little bit of a departure from our ongoing study to look at this wonderful letter of Paul, the second letter rather, of Paul to the Thessalonian church and really glean from its truths. Let's read those first five verses together uh, before we dive in today. Father, we, uh, we look at verse 1, Paul and Savannah and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brethren, as is only fitting, because your faith is greatly enlarged, and the love each one of you toward one another grows ever greater. Therefore, we ourselves speak proudly of you among the churches of God for your perseverance and faith in the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions which you endure. This is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment so that you will be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for which indeed you are suffering. Let's bow our heads and hearts in a word of prayer. Father, we do come before you this morning. We thank you for this time in your word. We pray, Lord, that you would take away precious truths to hide in our hearts and our minds, to be transformed, to live our lives for your honor and your glory, to be prepared, Father, for when times of difficulty come. Father, prepare us for how they come. And Lord, keep this word this morning, a purpose in front of us, Lord, so that we may walk through difficulties, persecution, suffering in a way that strengthens our faith, Lord, but also glorifies you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Southern California is home to a very uh, dry and arid climate, much like the land of Israel. The mountains and hillsides of the deserts of Southern California are covered with what is known as chaparral. Chaparral literally means scrub oak. The chaparral plant, if you've been out to the desert and seen them or even touched them, it's a very hardy and dense shrub that thrives in a dry climate. So the, the deserts and the hillsides of Southern California are just covered with chaparral. Now, we know that the deserts of Southern California also are very prone to wildfires. And if we're not there visiting, seeing them in person, we see them on uh, TV regularly. And the chaparral itself is very prone to burn. In fact, it's, in fact, it's very flammable. The chaparral's design includes a resinous foliage, a woody stem that has uh, lots of fur along the side of it. It's very prone to collect trash and litter and so tumbleweed and leaves and dead branches blow around in the desert get caught up underneath all this uh, undergrowth of the chaparral it also has a a leaf the chaparral that is that containing volatile oils and these oils are what help it survive in the dry climate but they're also highly highly flammable now believe it or not Fire plays a key role in the development, or the growth we could say, and the perpetuation of the plant itself. How can a plant so flammable thrive and persevere through a fire? 
Well, this amazing shrub has built into it by design what are known as fire cues. Fire cues. Fire cues are responses to a fire that ensure its survival and really ignite it to new growth. Some chaparral species, um, they re-sprout at a fire cue. Uh, some chaparral species also, as the adult plant dies off in the fire, the seeds that have dropped receive a fire cue and open up and germinate. Some chaparral are known as fire followers, and they require fire to, in fact, cause the plant to germinate. And some species, some adult plants of the chaparral burn, and the fire signals it to re-sprout. In fact, in this last scenario, with this signal to re-sprout, the adult plant has a burl underground, which is protected from the heat of the fire. And these burls contain dormant buds in which at the cue of the fire, the heat of the fire, while it's protected underground, these buds are signaled to re-sprout and explode with new growth. Some plants in the chaparral species require the heat of the fire to actually crack the seed so that light and water um, can get through and nutrients can get through to cause it to germinate and grow. And finally, after a fire, much of the shade given by uh, the older growth is removed, allowing the new buds and the new seeds that are coming up to get the light and the water they need to really just flourish and explode with new growth and cover the lands with this fresh new green plant life after a fire has come through. Now, why the lesson on the chaparral? Well, beloved, it's because the Thessalonian believers, the Thessalonian church, listen, are the chaparral of the New Testament. The Thessalonian church is the chaparral of the New Testament. From the moment the Apostle Paul first proclaimed the gospel to them in the city of Thessalonica, and they were converted through the gospel and through the divine power of God and the Holy Spirit and conviction, they were also met with the fire of suffering, the fire of persecution. Almost instantaneously on the preaching of Paul's gospel did they meet this persecution. By the fire of suffering, I mean they received the persecutions and the afflictions of evil men. They were immediately confronted with persecution. The fire was so, so fierce and so severe, the apostle was fearful that it would actually burn them down, that it would burn down their faith and they would fall away from the faith. Turn over one page to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, look at verse 5. This is Paul's first letter to them when Paul was literally run out of town by night. He sends Timothy back, verse 5, after Paul gets the report of how they are doing, he writes this, For this reason, when I could endure it no longer, I also sent to find out about your faith. Why? For fear that the tempter might have tempted you through what? The persecutions and our labor would be in vain. Meaning what? The persecutions that they were, had suffered would actually cause them to walk away from the faith to find relief. Both Gentiles and Judaizers came against them so quickly and so severely, even Paul was sent away by the cover of night. I'll mention this later on, but you can go back and read the story in Acts chapter 17 that the difficulties they faced were so severe that Paul even was counseled to leave under the cover of darkness. Now, in 1 Thessalonians, we know that these new believers survived this initial blast of suffering, this initial fire of suffering. 
Paul says there in chapter 3, verse 6, but if you're, still, if you're still there in 1 Thessalonians, but now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us good news of your faith and love and that you always think kindly of us, longing to see us just as we also long to see you. They had survived and their faith was intact and their love for one another was intact and this was good news to Paul. But after this first letter, many months later, many months had gone by, the, the fire of suffering still raged against the church. It still raged against them. Paul, while in, now in Corinth, writes a second letter to the Thessalonian church, what we now have as Second Thessalonians. As Paul sets out in his second letter, he takes up again this, this idea of persecutions and afflictions that they had continued to suffer. So the backdrop of this letter is also suffering and persecution. And listen, this time, Paul is not so concerned about their survival, because they have survived. Now, in this letter, he is celebrating. He's celebrating them because of what the fire of persecution was producing in them. So it's not about survival in 2 Thessalonians. It's about celebrating what the fire of persecution was producing in them. The Thessalonian hearts and faith, scorched by difficulties, scorched by persecution and affliction, had flourished with an enlarged faith, an expanding love, and a steadfast hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. And beloved, they were not unique. They are the model. They were the model and are the model. They were the chaparral of the New Testament. Every Christian in every church at some point will experience persecution and affliction from the hands of evil men. Certainly, the lessons here could just apply to the fact of any kind of suffering that we experience, but what's specifically in view here is suffering from the hands of evil men. But every believer in every church will experience this persecution and affliction for the very purpose of growth and purification. So as we cast ourselves into this letter this morning, just briefly in the first five verses, we're challenged and were confronted and comforted by the persecution and the reality of suffering for the faith. We are also comforted and compelled because we will discover that suffering purifies us to the glory of God. Difficulty purifies us to the glory of God. Difficulty purifies our faith. We should be comforted by this. This should be preparatory, in a sense, of what is God's purpose in bringing these afflictions upon us. The question we need to ask ourselves, and the question you need to keep in mind for the future, what purifying results will God bring in suffering? What purifying results will he bring through persecution and affliction? Well, we want to find out this morning. In 2 Thessalonians 1, 1 to 5, Paul comforts and encourages us with three purifying results of suffering. Okay, that's our outline this morning. Three purifying results of suffering. All right, the first one is this. The first purifying result of suffering is an enlarged faith. An enlarged faith. Let's look at verse 1 again. Verses 1 to 3. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought to always give thanks to God for you, brethren, as is only fitting. Why? Because your faith is greatly enlarged. It's greatly enlarged. Let's set the table here, verses 1 and 2. This letter begins with Paul's customary greeting. He introduces his 
ministry team, Paul, Silas, and Timothy. He often does that, refers to his team that is with him. Even though he refers to the team, we know that Paul himself is the author of the letter. He says so in chapter 3, verse 17, I, Paul, write this greeting. He also identifies the recipients, doesn't he? He says here to the church of the Thessalonians, in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He uses, the first of all, the word Greek word ekklesia here for church, the called by God. They were in Thessalonica. That was their physical location, but their spiritual location was where? In God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So they were in Thessalonica. They've been called by God, but they were spiritually united to the Godhead, both the Father and the Son through the Spirit. As with Paul, he also always continues here to extend grace and peace to those he writes to. Here it's more than just a formal hello. Paul wants the grace of God, the unmerited favor that comes with his peace to continue to flow to them day by day as they walk in Christ. And so he extends to them grace and peace from both God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Why does he write? When Corinth, he receives this report. Or he receives word that there are some issues ongoing in the church. Remember first, the first letter, he had sent Timothy back to find out what was going on. He got a report back from Timothy, so he wrote the first letter to address his encouragement to them and to address issues they were struggling with. The second letter is similar. He had received a report from ongoing issues about the church. That report had come to him, and so he dispatches this second letter. In fact, in chapter 3, verse 11 of 2 Thessalonians, Um, We hear, for we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life. And so that gives us a clue here that Paul had received a report from someone who was ministering within the church. And he, that is what motivated him to dispatch this second letter. Dr. Mayhew in his commentary on this letter says that Paul writes to them poignantly and pastorally. He addresses three issues. Persecution, which we're focusing on today. The day of the Lord which he covers in chapter 2, and then those living an undisciplined life, which he focuses on in chapter 3. Now, with that backdrop, let's look at verse 3. He begins, as he often does, with thanksgiving. He says here, We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brethren, as is only fitting. Paul here writes with the sense of he is bound to give thanks. He's inspired to give thanks. He says it's, we ought to always to do this. We are inspired to do this. We must do this. It is fitting to do this. And why is that the case? Because of what the results of the afflictions and persecutions are producing in them. And so he's inspired. He's bound to give thanks for what God is doing in their lives. And the first one, as we've already identified, is an enlarged faith. He says in the middle of verse 3, look, because your faith is greatly enlarged. Your faith is greatly enlarged. This is a wonderful designation here that Paul gives. It doesn't come through quite so much in the English. But the Greek word here for greatly enlarged is only used here in the New Testament. It's the only time Paul ever uses it. It's translated in the NASB, greatly enlarged. Some of your other translations may have different words. Paul's trying to make an emphatic point here with this Greek word. Because it can also mean not just greatly enlarged, but super abundant, flourishing growth. 
Paul is trying to make an emphatic point. It hasn't, it's not as if they've just grown from point A to point B in some small way. No, the persecution, in fact, has made their faith flourish with new growth. Super abundantly flourishing, growing faith. Like the chaparral, the fire persecution caused their faith to explode with new growth in Christ and in God. The hillside of their faith was freshly sprouted with green growth, beautiful and wonderful in the sight of God. Their faith, their faith was growing, being purified. Listen, so what, what was the growth? I should back up here. What was the growth? What, what's Paul talking about? What has enlarged? Well, their faith was growing, being purified of unbelief, being purified of trusting in self, being purified in the sense that they lacked joy. And it was growing and enlarged, being enlarged. It was flourishing and flowing with faith in God, with faith in God. And we know from verse 4, look down at verse 4 for a second, that this is in the midst of difficulties they're facing. We'll come back to verse 4 later, but look at it. Therefore, we ourselves speak proudly of you among the churches. We'll come back to that later. Of God, for your perseverance and faith, listen, in the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions, which you endure. Which you endure. Their faith had not folded in the face of persecution. Their faith had what? Expanded, enlarged, grown, super abundantly. We have a wonderful example of this in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. You don't need to turn there, but I can read it for you. This is where Paul is taking up an offering for the Jerusalem church. Paul says here, writes here in chapter 8, verse 1, Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, referencing here the Thessalonians, that in a great deal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord. And so when the offering was being taken to provide relief to the Jerusalem church, the churches in Macedonia gave super abundantly more than they even had beyond their ability and out of their poverty they gave. And so we see an example here of their faith in God growing that he would pro provide for them all they need as they cared for others in need. Their faith was being purified of self, being purified in trusting in self, being purified and enlarged in their trust in God. You know, it's interesting, isn't it, that not only do we see the positive benefits, but what does that mean? Their faith or the fire of persecution did not drive them away from God, did not drive them away from God. I'm not talking about the... the uh, Occasional ang angry at God. Why am I facing this? Why am I going through this? The questioning of God. He can handle that. That's okay. That's just natural, right? But it doesn't mean that they stayed there. It doesn't mean that they that caused them to go away. No, in fact, their faith in God increased, causing it to be not just enlarged, we could say, but greatly enlarged. So the first purifying result a persecution and affliction is an enlarged faith, an enlarged faith. 
Second, it's right here in verse 3. The second purifying result is this, an expanding love. An expanding love. You would think that in the midst of persecution, affliction, being unjustly treated, wrongly treated, that love for others would not be growing. What do you think would be happening? It would be just focusing on what? Self, right? It would just be focusing on self. But quite the opposite is happening here in the Thessalonian church. Look at verse 3. As is only fitting because your faith is greatly enlarged and the love of each one of you. Look at the specificity here. The love of each one of you. So not just collectively, but individually, the love of each one of you toward one another grows ever greater. Grows ever greater. An expanding love. Not just an enlarged faith, but an expanding love. The Greek translates here, grows even greater. Be present in abundance. Constantly growing and increasing in their love for one another. Paul had prayed for this for them. Turn back over most likely a page in your Bible to 1 Thessalonians chapter chapter 3 verse 12. Start in verse 11. He says, "Now may our God and Father himself and Jesus our Lord direct our way to you and may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another. And listen, not just for one another, for who else? And for all people, just as we also do for you. Paul had prayed this for the church. Now he gets a report back. They're still suffering persecution and affliction. And what does he find out? His prayer is being answered. The love of each one of them toward one another has grown even greater. God's, God was answering but again, it was through what? Suffering, persecution, difficulty. Their love expanded. The love of self burns away. The love of others increases. So we have to ask ourselves, even in the midst of our ability to live our Christian's lives pretty much, pretty much free of persecution and affliction, shouldn't our love be growing for one another being growing and expanding? Certainly we know it will if we face persecution and affliction. We have the model here and we see how God works through his power of his spirit in those realities. Or maybe we could say it another way. Is our prayer during suffering or persecution and affliction, that our love for others would grow? Beloved, that's not our natural prayer. Is it not? Our natural prayer is that we would be find relief from these things. But in fact, we see the model church here and their faith and love is growing. How are we to respond? Well, I think, at least for me, we should respond and be convicted, challenged, that in this wonderful reality that we live in right now in our Christian life, that our love for one another should be growing and being prepared for the reality that when that comes, that that will be the purifying result that God intends for us. And so the second purifying result is an expanding love. Let's go to the third. The third purifying result is an enduring hope. 
and enduring hope. In some ways, this is the found, not in some ways, it is the foundation of the ability of their faith to be enlarged and their love to expand and enduring hope. Verse 4 again, therefore we ourselves speak proudly of you among the churches of God for your perseverance and faith in the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions in which you endure. This is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment so that you will be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which indeed you are suffering. We learn now that Paul not only must give thanks for them, he also boasts of them and their model in the midst of suffering. In verse 4, look what Paul says. We speak proudly of you. He did that in the first letter as well. He told them the same thing for different reasons. We boast of your example. We boast of your testimony. Where in the churches? In First Thessalonians, that he says they boasted of them to the churches as well. And there it was for their the fruit of repentance, back over in verse 9 of chapter 1, he says, For they themselves report about us what kind, what kind of reception we had with you and how you turned to God from idols to, to serve a living and true God. So their repentance and their belief in, in Jesus Christ was real, it was authentic, and they could see the fruit of that. But here it was for another reason. And what was the reason? Back in verse 4, Therefore, we ourselves speak proudly of you among the churches of God for your perseverance and faith. For your perseverance and faith. Let's look at these two, two words. First, let's do this. The perseverance and faith in the midst of what? Persecutions and afflictions. What was Paul talking about here? Was the fire of suffering, persecutions and afflictions, the direct harassment, it's, it's accompanying afflictions. I mentioned Acts 17. We're not going to take time to go over there this morning, but if you go over to Acts 17 and read the story, they were, people were literally drugged into the streets. Loss of property, loss of jobs, poverty, slandered, wrongly accused, lives, their very lives pursued by Judaizers. Their very existence was jeopardized. And, and what was the big one? The big one was what? They were accused of being treasonous, right? Who else was accused of being treasonous? The Lord Jesus Christ himself. What was the final argument? What was the final blow that sent Jesus to the cross? It was the Jews accusing him of being treasonous. The Thessalonians know something about that, being accused of that. But in the midst of all these things they suffered, how they respond, what were the results? We've already seen two, steadfastness and faith. Steadfast here, willingly, they willingly bore up under the pressure of persecutions. They, they persevered, they endured, they, they remained under them, trusting in God to bring them through. Here we have faith, the continued trust and confidence in God amidst such difficulties. Amidst such difficulties. So they remained faithful. They, they remained faithful, enduring, bearing up under the pressure of all of those things we just mentioned. And it was a lot. It was a lot. I don't want to run over those quickly. It was a lot. So powerful was their endurance. I mentioned this 
so much that Paul boasted of them. Why? To strengthen the other churches, to strengthen their faith, to say, you can do this, trust in Christ, let your faith be enlarged, let your love be enlarged, and you will be steadfast and faithful in the midst of these realities. But their, faith, their steadfastness and faith was rooted in hope. Look back at verse 4. An enduring hope. And that enduring hope was ultimately anchored in the justice of God. He says, in the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions, which you endure, verse 5, this is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment. The justice of God. Their hope is in the justice of God, God's righteous judgment. It was a plain indication. It was a sign. It was evident that God is just. What is the evidence of God's justice here? Well, verse 4, the persecutions and trials themselves. The fact that they were being afflicted by the persecution and trials themselves. How is their hope rooted in God's justice delivered through persecutions and trials? Well, for several reasons. Paul outlines that in verses 6 through 10. We're not covering that today. But it, the first reason is found in verse 5. Their enduring hope was rooted and growing in God amidst the persecutions because of what God was producing in them. That's where the hope came from. Seeing the fruit. Seeing what God was doing in them. The purifying results of the afflictions of the afflictions themselves. Their enduring hope was strong and growing in God because God was using all these things to purify them, to perfect them in holiness, to make them worthy of the kingdom of God. Look at verse 5. So that the purpose clause, the purpose statement, you will be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for which indeed you are suffering. And that's where the purifying aspect comes in. God is using all these things to purify them, to make them holy, that they would be considered worthy of the kingdom of God. They were, as we know, positionally holy through Christ in salvation. Now through the sanctification of God, and through these difficulties being sanctified, he was using the fire of suffering to make them more holy in their experience. And God is just to do this, and hope grows in his justice, knowing his purpose in the persecution and in the affliction. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 12, the author there writes, uh, the actions of a loving, great, this is the actions of a loving and gracious father. The writer of Hebrews says, for what son is there whom his father does not discipline? So that, and then in Hebrews 12, verse 10, so that we would share in his holiness. So that we would share in his holiness. And so the enduring hope is rooted in the justice of God, knowing that in his perfect justice, he sends difficulties our way. For what reason? To purify us, to make us more holy, to make us more like Christ, to strengthen our faith, to enlarge, to expand our love, and to provide Strength and endurance in that hope. Every day I have to cross the Sherman Minton Bridge, unfortunately. No, it's fortunate because I love living out here, so it's not a big deal. But it's ama what amazes me is, as you go across the top deck right now, um, think about all the work they had to do to destroy all the concrete and steel and get all that out. 
And then when you go by, as they prep to put in the new concrete, there's not even barely a half an inch of space that's not covered by steel, right? And they're going to pour all the concrete over the steel. What's the purpose of the steel? To make it stronger, right? That's what God does for us. In difficulties, persecutions, suffering, afflictions, burns away that which is a weak foundation in trusting itself, and he strengthens us so that we can endure in the hope and the glory of his son and in the righteousness he's producing in us. In the case of the Thessalonians, God's just purpose in their persecutions were producing purifying results, an enlarged faith, an expanding love, and an enduring hope, knowing what God is doing in them. A hope anchored in his justice, his just purposes, in their persecutions. The fire of their sufferings and God's justice dramatically grew their faith, hope, and love. Three purifying results of suffering this morning, just briefly in this letter, that make us worthy of his kingdom, that challenge us, that comfort us, that prepare us, that help us explain our situation when we are suffering knowing what God is doing in our lives. The Thessalonians were the chaparral of the New Testament. As the fire of persecution pressed against them, exploded through them, they flourished with new growth. What a hopeful reality. What a hopeful illustration. What a hopeful model for all of us. This is their powerful testimony to us. John Wesley wrote... On this very theme, the person who bears and suffers evils with meekness and silence is the sum of a Christian man. Henry Beecher said, we are always in the forge or on the anvil by trials. God is shaping us for higher things. So my final exhortation for all of us today, you and I at some point, if not now, can if not now and continually, we'll be, we will be purified by the fires of difficulty, persecution, affliction, suffering of all types. We should be challenged and comforted to know that God is doing this for his intended purposes and his intended work in our lives. Let's take a minute and bow our heads and hearts in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you. For the reality and the clarity of knowing that as we walk this Christian life, as the difficulties come, Lord, of what you are producing in us, Lord, enlarge our faith, strengthen our resolve and love, and Father, produce an enduring hope in us, Lord, knowing that you are producing your perfect result in us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.